Mark 9, 14 through 29. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You for this day. We thank you. I thank You for these people. I thank You for the opportunity to gather and study Your Word together, Lord. And I pray that, that Your Word would do its work in us. Thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit and empowering us to live lives that You've called us to live. Lord, and this morning we just cry out for uh, Greg Macy's family, especially for Sharon, um, as she adjusts to a life she didn't think she'd have at this point, and, and, uh, and their kids and, and extended family. We just, just ask that you be with them, and I, and I pray that through all this they would draw closer to you, um, that if they have anger at you, they, they can express that in a, in, a, in a healthy way to you and to the others, and that you would just surround them with your body. Uh, to help them uh, get through this difficult time. Now be with us as we study your word and help us to understand what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, just to recap of last week, if you remember uh, in this section, we've got uh, Jesus telling the disciples proclaiming that he's the Messiah, and then we've got him going to the Mount of Transfiguration and then coming down and throwing, casting this demon out that, that the uh, disciples failed to cast out. So uh, what we've got is him saying, hey, I'm going to be rejected, killed, rise again. But then he's encouraging his disciples in these passages that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's encouraging them and saying, even though I'm going to the cross, I'm still God, basically. I'm still the Messiah. The Messiah is just different than what you, want, what, what you thought. Uh, I still have power. So we looked at last week and we saw that that meekness is not weakness, that Christ is going to be killed not because he isn't powerful enough to prevent it, but because he's purchasing sinners. He's reconciling sinners uh, to God. Um, and that's why he's doing that. He still has all the power of his deity. He's just, it's just veiled right now. He's purposely veiling it, uh, but his power will be revealed in full at his second coming. We also saw that our failures in no way impugn God's power. Again, this is part of, hey, I'm still God. I'm still the Messiah. I still have all the power I need. And because we fail, the disciples fail failed and we fail, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have power. That doesn't mean that God isn't all-powerful. Jesus is oftentimes judged by our shortcomings. Uh, the world judges Jesus by what we do, and that's a huge mistake, and we, we don't want that to happen. We, we want to make sure that we're telling people the truth so that they judge Jesus and God rightly. Uh, the, the, we saw last week that the, the, the disciples' failure caused the boy's father to doubt Jesus' power but that Jesus showed he could still do it. He has the power. He can cast out the demons. His disciples failed. We looked at this last week a lot because they weren't abiding in God. Maybe they thought the power was their own, and we'll look at that a little bit here shortly. But that brings us to the third principle that we're looking at in this passage, and that is that God calls us to an on, a life of ongoing faith, of belief, ongoing faith. And belief. So let's just, uh, we read the whole passage last week. We're gonna, uh, I've got a lot of scripture this morning that we're going to be jumping back and forth to. I encourage you to make a note and look at it later to check me to make sure I'm using it properly. But I'm not going to have the time to wait until everybody changes their Bibles. As a matter of fact, that's why my notes are so long because I put all the scripture in my notes so I don't even have to change back and forth in my Bible so I can go through it a little bit more quickly. But Mark, uh, the, key, the key parts this morning that we're looking at, Mark 9, 18 and 19, towards the end of 8, 19, he, he says, uh, the man's father says, I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered and, then, and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Picking it up in 22, the last part of 22, the man's father again says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And that's where we're going to be this morning. All things are possible to him who believes. And the other side of that is, I do believe, help my unbelief. If we look at Matthew 17, 19 through 20, the, the parallel passage, when the disciples went to him and said, hey, why couldn't we cast this out? Uh, in, in 19 it says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So last week we looked at the whole prayer side of thing. This side we're going to look at the belief, the faith side of things. And again, two sides we need to look at it. We've got this, these passages that say all things are possible to him who believes. This says faith can move mountains. And that nothing will be impossible to you. And then the other side is, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So let's take the first one. All things are possible to him who believes. And again, we're looking at, at, at our, ongoing, our life of ongoing faith that God calls us to. All things are possible to him who believes. Faith can move mountains. Nothing will be impossible if I just have faith. And as I said last week, man, what amazing promise of God we find in this verse. And it's a promise we should stand on. We should stand on this promise. Unfortunately, this verse and verses like it have been used by unscrupulous Bible teachers to enrich themselves and do lots of damage to God's people. So we want to take a look at it and see if we can figure out how to handle it correctly so that we can stand on the promise without abusing God's word or abusing what God has for us in our life. So there are several other passages that are similar to this, similarly powerful passages that are often used incorrectly and lumped into the same. So we're just going to go through them. Mark 11, 22 through 24. Again, Mark 11, 22 through 24. And Jesus answered them saying, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Luke 17, 6, and the Lord said, if, the, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Again, that's Luke 17, 6. Philippians 4, 13, one that's familiar to a lot of people. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, let's study these together. Because, man, you hear those, and then you hear some, some powerful false teacher that, that, that starts leading you down the wrong road. So let's get a good foundation on these. Study them together so we can stand on the promise of God without abusing the text or abusing God. And let's start with a quick word study on believe and how that relates to faith in our English translations. Now, just remember, anytime you're doing a word study in the Bible, you should always be studying the core language word. So if it's in Greek, studying the Greek word. Not studying the English definition, but studying the Greek. If it's in Hebrew, you study the Hebrew. Now, resources for that. You can always go to somebody like Chris or somebody like Joe that's been trained in Hebrew and Greek, and they will help you out. Or you can do what I do, who has not been trained in Hebrew and Greek, and I'm going to go to um, look at tools 
that you have. Logos is the one that I use, but there's lots of tools out there that will help you out with the original languages. So what we find out by using those tools is that belief, believe and faith have the same root word in Greek. And what you have is you have different forms of that root word. Believe is the verb form, and faith is the noun form. So belief and faith are intricately linked. The one who believes, that's the verb, has faith, the noun. We're putting it the other way. In order to have faith, the noun, I have to believe, a verb, an action. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not a, a maybe it will happen. Faith is the assurance and the conviction. Assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God because we must believe that He is and that He rewards those who seek Him. We're called to a life of ongoing faith. In whom do we believe? What is the, who is the object of our faith? Well, hopefully it's, it's obvious that it's God. Okay, We're not talking about the faith that you show in the chair when you sit in the chair. We're not talking about the faith that you show in the other, show in the other driver when you pass him doing 75, in a, on a, you know, both going 75 on a two-lane road 10 feet from each other. You know, you have, you're, you're trusting that that person staying there. But when we're talking biblical faith, we're talking about the object being God. right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have faith in as one writer puts it, faith is the trustful human response to God's self-revelation. Faith is the trustful human response to God's self-revelation. All that we know about God has been revealed to us by God in His creation and in His Word. If I believe God, I trust or I have faith what He says. And that faith properly placed is effective and we can stand on that promise. The world says have faith in yourself. The Bible tells us to have faith in Jesus. American culture says to be self-reliant. The Bible calls us to rely completely on God. So to wrap all that up, we have faith when we believe what God has revealed to us about the world and about himself. And as James points out, true faith Saving faith always leads to action. Okay, it always leads to action, i.e., our actions show what we really believe. Do we really believe that Jesus is God and he's not weak just because he went to the cross? Do we really believe that man's shortcomings don't impugn the power of God? Do we really believe? That as God calls us to a life of ongoing faith, that all things are possible for God. All things are possible for God. We have an, a God that has limitless power. Let's agree on that. I can agree with the false teachers that God's power is unlimited. He can do anything we ask him to do. Can I get a cent from everybody on that? Are we all together right now? God can do anything anything we ask or need him to do. There is nothing that he cannot do. Okay? Now the problem comes in, and this is where I'm going to diverge from the other people. The problem comes in when the false teachers come up and go, okay, you got that. God can do anything. And you look at those scriptures 
And then they'll say, we're going to lead you down the same unsuccessful path that the disciples took and that we talked about last week. And that's the belief that because God has offered the power to us, it is our power to command. In other words, all I got to do is believe in God, and then I'm in charge. I get to use the power as I want to use it. Because it seems like those passages are like, anything you ask for, you'll have it. God can do that. But is that the proper application of these passages? And I would tell you no. The false teachers are going to tell you that, see, the Scripture tells you, ask for whatever you want. In other words, you take control and you tell God what you want, and they turn God into basically a genie. Remember last week we talked about two problems. If the, if the power is in us, if, if we think that all things are possible because the power is in us, we come up with two problems. And one is we think we get to use the power according to our will. Okay? And if we get to use the power according to our will, we are no longer submitting to God. Okay? And the second thing is we all have self-doubts. So if the power in it is in us, we may doubt that power because we doubt ourselves, and then it becomes ineffective. Two of the problems. And the false teachers fall firmly into the first error, telling you that you get to decide how to use God's power. And oh, by the way, then they beat you over the head with the second error. And they said, if you ask for something and it doesn't come true, it's your fault. It's because you don't have enough faith. It's because you don't believe strongly enough. And they enrich themselves and they do great harm to God's people with that kind of teaching question for you. If the name it, claim it crowd, if the prosperity gospel teachers, if the word of faith movement is right, if they have, if, if the way they interpret these things are right, why did the disciples not live lives, why did the apostles not live lives of comfort and luxury? They heard the teaching straight from Jesus. They saw him physically resurrected. If the correct understanding of these passages is anything you want, ask for it, and God will do it for you, why did all of them save John go to the cross and John went to exile? Why? I would say the example of Scripture tells us that they have it wrong. So let's look at these and similar passages and see if we can get a bit more as we dig into it to see how to correctly apply this promise to our lives, realizing that God calls us to a life of ongoing faith. John 14, 13 through 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Aha! Now we've got something different. It's not whatever you want, it's whatever you ask for in Jesus' name. Well, that's simple, Steve. I'm just going to say, in Jesus' name, I want this, and I'll get it. Right? Well, not so fast. Not so fast. 1 John 5, 14, 15 says, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Aha! Starting to get a little clearer. Now we see that in his name means according to his will. 
according to his will. So it's God's will, not our will, that we're worried about. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So now, much like we talked about last week, we, we talked about uh, John uh, 15, 4 and 5, and this is just later teaching in that same passage. Now we see that, that according to his will means that I'm abiding in him. That I'm abiding in Jesus. I'm living my life in submission to, obedience to, and dependence on God. And if I'm doing that, then anything I need, God is, po God is powerful enough to provide. God is powerful enough to provide. But I really think Philippians 4, 10 through 13 holds the key to correctly understanding and applying this concept, these group of passages of abiding in God and seeing what Jesus means when he says that anything is possible for one who believes. So I will ask you to, to uh, quickly go to Philippians 4. And it's a familiar passage that's often, I think, misused um, on the face of it. But if, if we dig a little deeper, it, it's, it's a fantastic passage. Because uh, Philippians 4.13, you'll see it in people's houses. You'll see it on bumper stickers. Uh, you'll see it on keychains. You'll see it on lots of things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you've got a King James or a new King James, they, they supplement the, the, the pronoun there with the, with the proper name. And it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's it. I can do all things. Well, let's back up a little bit and look at the context and see really what specifically he's talking about in this passage and the concept and how that applies to what we're talking about this morning. Back up to 10. Philippians 4.10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me if indeed you were, you, or indeed you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. So what's going on here is he's telling them that he had received a monetary, a financial gift of support that, he, that they had sent him. And he is rejoicing that they have, their concern has finally reached him. And he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So specifically here, he's talking about finances, right? He's talking about uh, living in poverty or prosperity. And he says he's learned the secret. And what is the secret of living both in prosperity and in poverty? The secret is living in Christ, because he can do all things in him, who or through him who strengthens. Can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can live in poverty, and I can live in prosperity. And I'll tell you, both of those are difficult. You won't go out there and find many examples of somebody who is super successful and is still living a God-like, Christ-like life. Okay, and, and likewise, you won't find a lot of people that are in abject poverty that are living a Christ-like life. But what this passage is telling, what Paul is telling us, that whichever circumstance God has you in, the secret to living there is Christ who strengthens it. 
In other words, you can do all things. All things are possible for him who believes. He who is abiding in Christ, submitting to Christ, obedient to Christ, depending on Christ, can do all things. Whether God has you in this circumstance or this circumstance, you can live for him. You don't have to live down here and go, man, I've got to steal to feed my family because you can rely on Christ. You don't have to live up here and go, I've got this figured out. I don't need God anymore because I'm self-sufficient. You can do both of those. All things are possible for he who believes. God gives us the power to do anything that he brings into our life. The man doubted that Jesus had the power to cast the demon out. And Jesus said, all things, I can do all things. All things are possible for him who believes. I definitely have the power. With God, we can handle anything he brings into our life. No matter what it is, how horrible or how exultant, we can live for him in any circumstance. We can live with him and for him in amazing worldly success. And we can live with him and for him through any suffering. Because all things are possible to him who believes. But faith doesn't presume on the will of God. Right? It doesn't stop. We don't stop asking for miracles. But we don't ever presume that God is going to grant them. Because again, it's his will. And I would venture to say there's not anybody in this room that hasn't suffered great loss and great personal suffering at some point in your life. And is God able to take that from you? He is absolutely able if he deems that best. So we should never stop praying for miracles. But if the answer is no... We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. All things are possible for he who believes. Whatever we ask, abiding in him, in his will, we have the power to accept and to live through. Many examples in Scripture. We're going to just look at two real quick from Mark. First, the leper in 140, and we've talked about him before. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's the type of life that we need to live. Lord, I don't doubt your power. And I throw myself on your mercy. And if you are willing, you can do X, Y, and Z. Bartimaeus, we'll look at him later in Mark, in 10, 46 through 52, says, have mercy on me. I want to regain my sight. He cries out and tells Jesus what he wants. Have mercy on me. I want to regain my sight. He knows that Jesus is able. He knows that all things are possible. But he doesn't assume that Jesus is going to do that. He submits to God's will in the situation. He asks and he submits. And of course we know that Jesus heals him. Have an abiding faith. A life of ongoing faith means that when we ask and the answer is no, we keep on in faith. Without having to know why the answer was no. Because as we did our study, we have faith because we believe what God has told us. So even though the answer is no, and we don't know why, we keep on in faith. Some examples of that in Scripture. Again, if the Word of Faith movement had it right, 
Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Jesus in the Garden of Jesus is a great example of these things. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays that, Lord, if you can take this from me. This is in Mark 14, 35 through 36. You can look at parallel passages as well. But he says, Not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, take this from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. At his betrayal, in Matthew 26, 53, when Peter is gung-ho and he's going to save Jesus, Jesus says enough of this, basically. He says, don't you know that I could summon 12 legions of angels? All things are possible, but I'm walking in God's will. I don't have to go to the cross. I have power to get away from it. But I have to go to the cross because that's God's will. He says in John 18, 11, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? The cup that the Father has given us, shall we not drink it? That's what faith is. That's what belief is. We trust him no matter what happens. Paul's a great example, and we see that, in, again, familiar passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, three times I prayed that the Lord would take this thorn from my side, and God's answer is what? My grace is sufficient for you. Walk on in faith. Not that God didn't have the power to heal Paul, but in God's ultimate wisdom, he knows that it wasn't the best thing to do. And Paul walked on in faith even though he might not understand that because he trusted God completely. If God says no to our prayers or ask for a miracle, his grace is still sufficient for us. We trust him no matter what happens. We'll walk in faith knowing that all things, whether we're thriving in Christ in the good or whether we're thriving in Christ through suffering, all things are possible for us who believe. So the fact that all things are possible is not a recipe for us to get our desires. It's a promise that we can stand on no matter what comes into our life. And that leads to the second part of living a life of ongoing faith. And then as I do believe, help my unbelief. Man, how many people have cried that out to God through your lives? I do believe, help my unbelief. Note a couple things here. Note that the honest admission of doubt does not keep God from accomplishing His will. Right? His will was obviously to cast out that demon. And the honest admission of doubt from the Father does not hamper God's power one moment. Because mustard seeds, as we've seen in these passages, a mustard seed-sized faith can move mountains and mulberry trees. So your little bit of doubt is not going to keep God from accomplishing his purposes. It's not going to keep God's power from being seen. Jesus does help this man with his unbelief by showing that all things are possible and casting the demon out of his son. Guess what? Our unbelief is helped as well. We have the example of Scripture to help our unbelief and the amazing things that God has done. He's shown us all the things that are possible in him. And I bet that if you look back at your lives, we're not real good at seeing it in the moment. Sometimes we do, sometimes not. But man, when we look back at our lives, we can see every step where God has been faithful, where God has pulled us through the darkest of times, 
where God has helped us not become prideful and arrogant in the best of times. God helps our unbelief. Don't ever be afraid to cry out, I do believe, help my unbelief, because he's there to help. But what we need to figure out is what part our, in what part of our lives are we relying on or depending on ourselves? Because if there's something somewhere where you're relying on and depending on yourself, that's where you're going to have issues. That's where you're going to have issues. That's where you're going to have real self-doubt. That's where you're going to have real, you're going to start wondering if God is there, not because God isn't powerful enough, but because you're really depending on yourself. And when you fail yourself, you attribute that to God. So let's be careful and make sure we're depending on God. Like I said before, that we never stop asking for miracles while realizing that real faith isn't shaken when the miracle doesn't happen because the answer is no. I don't want to get into it, but I have examples in my own life, personal examples, where the miracle, where the answer has been yes to the prayer, and I've got real life examples of where the answer has been no. And you're going to, we're going to live through faith regardless. And then what I really want us to do is, people, we want to stand on this promise. So figure out what God is calling you to. It may be something very specific. Moses had a very specific call in Scripture. The other million Israelites didn't have a specific call. They had the general call to just live their life for God. Right? So you may have a very specific, he's calling you into ministry, he's got something that, you're, that he wants you to do, or it just may be living the life of faith as a teacher, as a border patrol officer, as an Air Force officer, as a retiree, living the life of faith. But whatever it is he calls you to do, do it with absolute faith in him. Stop trying to figure out how it's going to work because you're abiding with God your faith in Jesus, your faith in God is way more important than your one, three, five, 10, 20 year plan. Because it's probably not going to work out the way you plan it if you follow God. Remember, all things are possible for him who believes. So if you've got a call to something, step out on faith and go do it and watch the amazing provision that God will give you. And I know lots of people in this church, one sitting right down here, Joe, one sitting back there, Chris, that can tell you about that, that when they heard God's call, they followed it, and the amazing provision that God gave them, because all things are possible for he who believes. If you're in the close relationship with God, he's going to provide for you no matter what he calls you to. You know, Paul didn't know he would get to witness to the Roman commander in Jerusalem and his whole cohort. He didn't know that he would get to witness to Felix and to Festus and to Agrippa. He didn't know that he was going to get to convert the Roman praetorium in Rome. All he knew was he was following God's call in his life to be faithful and to go where God called him. And look what God did to him. Paul didn't have to sit back and go, this is my, my one-year plan is I want to witness to these people, and then in two years I want to do this. Maybe in five years I can witness this. No, I'm just going to follow God and be amazed at what he does in my life. All things are possible to he who believes. As I was preparing this sermon... It may seem odd. 
I hope, I hope you guys don't think this is too weird, but as I was preparing this sermon and, and, and thinking through and contemplating the whole, no matter what comes into my life, I'm going to stick with, with, with Christ. I'm going to be faithful to Him. I know He can do anything that He needs to do. He can do anything for me. He can help me live in the good or the bad. Whatever, I can do it in Christ. I got to thinking, you know, what are we as the church? The body of Christ is the bride of Christ, right? I got to thinking about traditional wedding vows. So I want to close with this. I went and got the traditional wedding vows, and I modified them a little bit to reflect the deity of Christ. And I'm just going to read them, and I'm going to affirm them quietly to myself. And I ask you, if you are willing, if you want to, just affirm them quietly to yourself in the quietness of your heart. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to stand up. But I'm going to do this for me. And if you want to join and take these vows for you, go ahead. Both as the church, as, or as a member of the church, and personally. So the first vows would be for the member of the church. Church, will you have Jesus to be your lawful wedded husband? To live with him in the holy estate of matrimony? To love him, obey him, honor him, and keep him first in your life through sickness and health, through prosperity or adversity? And that forsaking all others, will you be faithful to him, conducting yourself toward him in all respects as a dutiful and affectionate bride? If so, respond in the quietness of your heart. We do. The second vow, personal vow. I, fill in your name, state your name. I, Steve Plank, take you, Jesus, to be my God, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, waiting for the day that by death or by rapture I am in your presence for eternity. According to God's holy word, I pledge you my faithfulness. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us that all things, there's nothing beyond your power. All things are available to those who believe. Lord, and we acquiesce today that it's not our will, but your will that we want. We have faith in you because we believe what you've told us, and we want to live those lives of faith. Lord, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that helps us live lives of faith. And Lord, I pray that no matter what comes into our lives, that we will rely on you, that we will never question your power, and that we will always be subservient to your will. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.